Well, good morning. It is a privilege to be here with you. Thank you. Um, we're from uh, British Columbia. It's Western Canada. We're a couple of hours north of Seattle, Washington. I think we're about uh, four and a half hours from uh, where Greg lives. Is it Greg? Is that who I met? From Yakima? Where is he? Is he here? Did he leave? Oh, he took his kids to Sunday school. But anyways, he's from Yakima. So we're about, I think, about four and a half hours from there. And uh, it's a 50-hour drive, but it's a beautiful stretch of uh, scenery. And so uh, we're grateful to be down here to uh, be with you and to uh, share in this uh, great subject of spiritual gifts. Uh, maybe we could uh, begin our meeting by praying. Our Father, we're thankful for the... Uh, fellowship of your people. Father, we're grateful for the body of Christ. We're thankful this morning for uh, children and for uh, your word, which is living, life-giving, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. And uh, just the uh, privilege to witness those who would hide it in their hearts. Father, we uh, thank you for this opportunity now to uh, look into your word and we ask for help. And we ask that you would uh, bless us, uh, we pray, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, so we start this subject. I have a quote from uh, J.M. Davies. Uh, he has a book entitled The Lord and the Churches. And he has a pretty bold statement, I think, at the beginning uh, that's worth repeating. He says this, The maintenance and continuance of the witness of the church and churches depends on ministry. Hence, their importance cannot be overemphasized. So this idea that the greatest thing in the world is not creation, as wonderful as that is, uh, because it's not going to last forever. Right? The fact is that this world as we know it one day will um, be purged with fire and it will be different. But there is one thing that's eternal in this world. It's the church, the body of Christ. We're part of it. And so the point is, how is it, uh, how is that testimony, uh, that witness to the world, how is it sustained or uh, continued? How is it maintained? Well, it's maintained and continued through the use of spiritual gifts. And so that's the point. Uh, by introduction this morning, we're going to, uh, in the next three sessions, Plus, I would imagine the uh, Q&A uh, be considering basically four passages. Now, there are uh, four main passages on spiritual gifts. What are they? Like to take a chance or take a guess or you probably maybe many of you know. So if I was to ask, what are the four main passages on spiritual gifts? They would be what we got. We got one so far. What is it? First Corinthians 12. Yeah, that would be the uh, likely the best known one. It's uh, certainly the most controversial. The uh, controversial subjects or concepts concerning spiritual gifts are contained in 1 Corinthians 12 through uh, 14. So 1 Corinthians 12 would be one of the main passages. Romans 12. Right? You had that. So I, I like to think of uh, 2.12. So Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12. Um. Another one. Ephesians 4. Good. 
So two twelves, two fours. So Ephesians four and First Peter chapter four. Those are the four main passages. Now, gifts, of course, are mentioned outside of that, and we'll consider some of those verses because they'll help us. So we have uh, Romans 12, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, we have Ephesians 4, and we have 1 Peter 4. Uh, As we uh, go through uh, the gifts, we're uh, going to spend most of the time not on the lists. Is that shocking? Mostly, that's what we like to think about. You, you name it. Uh, uh, come here this morning. You, the preacher names the gift, tells me uh, what it is, explains it. I determine in my heart if that's what I have, and then I can go forth and exercise it. But is that a biblical concept? Well, part of it is, but the point we want to make this morning is that uh, from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which is one of the main passages... Uh, It begins with, now concerning spiritual gift, brethren, or spirituals, or spiritual gifts, I wouldn't have you to be ignorant. Uh, Chapter 12 ends with desiring the best gift. But yet there's only two lists there, small lists. Most of the chapter is not taken up with a description of the gifts, or what their name is, or what they are, but how the gifts are exercised, how it works in the body. And so I think this is, um, this is important. Uh, as we work through this, uh, these concepts, uh, we're going to spend lots of time on metaphors. Now, there are lots of metaphors in the, in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, to describe the church. Name me some of them. Name some of the metaphors used. Bride. The bride. Another one. The body. The body, yeah, good. It's another one. The building. The temple. Household. Right? So uh, there's a handful. There's maybe six or seven. You know, again, there's often uh, different ideas about these things. But uh, that's a tough question to name some of the metaphors used. But... Do you know what the metaphor that's mostly used? It's a body, a physical body. In fact, that's what uh, the passages have in common. We see that in 1 Corinthians 12. Paul uses the metaphor of the body. In Romans 12, he uses the metaphor of the body. In Ephesians 4, he uses the metaphor of the human body. Um, You know, the Bible has illustrations, of course. And it has metaphors. What's the difference between an illustration and a metaphor? And I'll uh, read from my notes because um, I feel like it's a, a help uh, to kind of picture this. And so, so the question is, what's the difference between an illustration and a metaphor? And so I'm going to read what I have as a description. Now, it's not my own, but it's very helpful to me. Metaphors, the writer says, are different than illustrations. An illustration is a picture or a story that clarifies a thought. Uh, it has no inherent relationship to, this, to the thought and is dispensable once the hearer or reader gets the point. Right? That makes sense, right? That an illustration is something that helps us to see something. Once we see it, we don't need the illustration any longer. 
we've got what the uh, writer or the speaker is trying to infer or what he's trying to get across. That's what an illustration is. So we think of the usefulness of good illustrations. But once we have the point, we can move past it. So I think that's logical. Uh, a metaphor, however, is a way of saying what cannot be said directly. A way of seeing this as that. It has generative power and opens new doors of understanding. Consideration of the metaphor. Metaphors may result in as a tidy, uh, or sorry, consideration of the metaphors may not result in as tidy a theological package, but it leaves room for more reflection. And so Paul used, often he used illustrations, but when he's speaking about gifts, he uses a metaphor, the human body. Why, why the body? Why the physical body? Well, I like to think because um, what do you know better in life? What do you know better in life than your body? Um, you've studied every square inch of it. Uh, you've spent time uh, bent over uh, uh, trying to get a hangnail out of your little toe. Have you ever done that? Uh, well, if you haven't done it, the reason is because you never had one. But if you have one, you will spend time doing that. And so the, the human body, we learn, uh, we come to learn how our body works, right? Uh, the kind of food we can eat, right? And so it, it's a good illustration or it's a good metaphor. It, it helps us. Um, we can think of lots of examples of this in life of of um, how metaphors or a metaphor of the human body, how how it's pictured in all sorts of different avenues of life. You know, in sports, athletes come to learn how their body operates and how it works. Olympic athletes spend their whole life training their physical body, working on it, knowing what kind of food to eat and uh, what gives them the best performance? You know, in um, uh, our part of the country, we don't, uh, you know, the sports are different in Canada, as you well know. We don't mu understand much about college football. Uh, our part of the world, they like to play hockey. And so every kid in the street, that's what he's doing. He's playing hockey and envisioning representing his country playing hockey. Well, now we're not the only country that uh, plays hockey. Lots of countries have good hockey players. Um, the professional sports team in our area is the Vancouver Canucks. And in 1999, they had the uh, second and third overall draft picks. Uh, they traded and, and schemed and planned to get these two, these two picks. And they drafted uh, two brothers, twins, from Sweden. Uh, they've been in the NHL 15 years. Um, They've both won a scoring title, uh, won numerous, uh, well, everything that's to be won, they've won it. Now, what's interesting is um, the man who was drafted, or the young guy who was drafted first overall that year, never made it in the NHL. I only just played a few games, I think 100 games, and never had much of a career. And so what's interesting is, uh, you know, he was, he was the man who was supposed to make it, so what was the difference? Well, I'm going to suggest to you that 
Uh, hey, he didn't apply himself like the two that ended up in Vancouver, that's for sure. These guys are uh, 35 years old this year. Now, uh, 35 in the assembly is young, right? 35 in athletics is old. But they say that every year uh, when the young guys come to training camp, the 28 players that are on the roster, uh, they have a, a, a run up a mountain. It's called the grouse grind. And so it determines the physical condition in which these guys show up at training camp. And they say that first and second every year for the last 15 years have been Daniel and Henrik Sedin. And so what's the difference? They train. They discipline. And so if we think about this concept of uh, spiritual gifts and the metaphor of the human body, we're familiar with it. It's good. It's going to help us. And so um, let's turn, if we could, and uh, look at uh, a few verses. Let's turn, if we could, to uh, Romans chapter uh, 12. And we'll start with a uh, definition. Now, we're going to be jumping for the first little bit back and forth between these passages and some other ones as well. Some of the other single references to the idea. Spiritual gifts, but we trust that by the end of our session, this is going to help us. So a gift, what is it? Well, Romans chapter 12, verse 3. The Apostle Paul says, For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. And so some have ably pointed out that a gift, a spiritual gift, is a grace gift from God. It's something that we didn't have at a certain point in our life. It's good to emphasize these things. I mean, I know we understand them, but it's good to emphasize um, and make distinctions between what would be perceived as, or or what would be a a physical talent and a spiritual gift. Now, what's a talent? Well, I'm going to suggest to you that's what Henrik and Daniel Sedin had was talent. Uh, I would also add to that that uh, Patrick Stefan, who was drafted first all overall that year, had more talent, but it didn't work for him. Uh, and so the difference between a talent and a spiritual gift. Well, a talent is something that they were born with, right? And, uh, hey, we witnessed that this morning. How come this brother is the only one up here singing? Well, hey, uh, I didn't come here to sing, right? And and if I sang, you would say, Rob, we'll don't bother calling us. We'll call you. (laughs) And so there's uh, as a talent. But we know this. Hey, hey, there's lots of talented singers in the world, right? We were born with that talent, but that doesn't get you there. There's still a lot of work. So there's that discipline. Is a talent to play the guitar, but how many hours does it take to play the guitar to learn to do that? So there's that discipline associated with talent. And so he was born with that. We often say that. 
born gifted. It was a gift he had from birth until we understand that principle. Well, that's how a spiritual gift happens. You're born with it. But not your first birth. It's your second birth. And so I think it's important, in, even in evangelical Christianity today, to point out the fact that we believe in the new birth, right? You believe that, right? Um, you know, many that would be perceived or who would testify to being Christians in the world today do not believe in the new birth. That's true. Uh, say that, uh, you know, Tim Hood and... Uh, Tim worked in Ireland, had the opportunity to go to Ireland and pass out calendars with Tim on the doors. And hey, you know what? Uh, I think it's 97 or 98 percent of people have in Ireland what they have in common. Do you know what 97 or 98 percent of the people in Ireland have in common? Don't say they love to fight. Um, That would be 100 percent probably. They're Christians. Did you know that? That they're Christians. That's what they have in common. Say that the country of Ireland, I don't know what the percentage, maybe it's lower now, but it was, it, was, it was that kind of a number. It was in the 90s for sure. One study has shown. I guess we have to preface any statistics we say with one study has shown because uh, in a group of young people, everybody's Googling it to see if it's true right now on their phone. But it's a high number. And so you meet these people on the door and uh, he says, I'm a Christian. And I ask, and so at first you're, you're put off by that a little bit, and then, and then I would ask the question, have you been born again? And you know what they would say? I haven't done that yet. You think about that. Hey, hey, we, we, we can be emphatic that unless you're born again, you will never see the kingdom of God. That's what the Lord Jesus said to Nicodemus. Suggest you the most religious man in the city of Jerusalem, probably the best living, possibly. He was a Bible teacher. He, he, hey, it's impressive to see kids hide the word of God in their hearts because it's such a rarity today. But how much of the Bible do you think Nicodemus knew by heart? Well, two thirds. The whole Old Testament he would have known by heart. Right? I mean, a uh, Orthodox Jewish child of 12 would have learned the Torah, had the first five books committed to heart. Nicodemus likely knew the whole Old Testament. That's why the Lord Jesus could challenge him about this idea of being born again. Say, Nicodemus, you're the teacher in Israel. You should know this. Well, where was it from, the idea of being born again? Where was it in the Old Testament? Well, it wasn't in the Torah. It was in Ezekiel. That's what the Lord Jesus was referring to. And so, as we think about Spiritual gifts. We want to make a distinction between talent and spiritual gift. Both come at birth. Talent at the first birth. Spiritual gifts second when a person is born again. Uh, what's a good working definition for our time in the Word with regards to what a spiritual gift would, would be? What would we call it? Maybe you have one. Does somebody have a good working definition they like? Uh, I like the idea of a God-given special ability to work in the body of Christ. So it's God-given, it's special, special meaning in distinction from others, 
right? You know, that I would suggest to you, and hey, listen, lot, lots would say this, that there are no two gifts the same. Do you believe that? Do you think that's hard for God to do? No two spiritual gifts the same? Would that be hard for Him to do? How many people in the world today? Nearly 7 billion, right? How many look the same? <laughs> they're similar, but they're not identical. Actually, uh, the Sedin twins, they're identical twins. But guess what? They're not identical. Now, it's hard to tell them apart, I admit. But actually, one's six foot two and one's six foot one. So they're an inch difference. Now, in sports, that makes a big difference. Not so much in the assembly. Uh, and so this idea of, of diversity, that's what makes things beautiful. That's what makes the body of Christ beautiful is the difference, the diversity. Like a rose is beautiful, right? What would the world look like if it was all a field of red roses? Uh, Niagara Falls. Have you been to see Niagara Falls? It's powerful. It's awesome. Now, maybe that's not the right term for something that's being created by the Creator, but it, it's something to see. What would the world look like if it was all Niagara Falls? It would be boring. And so, the fact of every gift being distinct and diverse, there's, there's beauty in that. And there can be unity in diversity. And so we want to think about that. So it's a gift given by God. That's what we have here. Uh, a distinction between... Um, Gifts and talents, we want to emphasize that. Then we also want to emphasize that, that um, spiritual maturity, spiritual maturity, and that's an important subject to the Lord. So Paul writes about it. Let's read about that. Let's, let's read that in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And we stop there and make comment. Notice this, that again, the list is short, but most of the passage is about how the gifts operate, how they function, rather than what they are, how do they work? What do they do? He says, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature, the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things unto him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effect of working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body 
for the edifying of itself in love. What's unique about that section I just read? If you were an English student and you were looking at that, what would you first notice about that? The punctuation. It's one sentence. Man, that's a long sentence, isn't it? So, so the idea is, is this, this theme is connected together. And so we're, 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 we're speaking about Christian maturity, growing. This is an emphasis of the New Testament writers, growing grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. Now, as we think about spiritual gifts, well, we thought about talents, we think about spiritual gifts. How is Christian maturity determined? By spiritual gift? That's how often it's perceived of as in the world. You know, the, the greater the mind, the, uh, the greater the personality, and the higher they rise. Right? I mean, that's how it works in the world. Hey, I mean, we talk about sports. These guys make $8 million a year. Lots of athletes make way more than that. And so the world has determined this is where worth is. This is what a hero looks like. But it's not like that in the body of Christ. Spiritual maturity is not based on spiritual gift. How is it determined? How is it discerned? Not by gift, not by talent, but I would suggest to you by the fruit of the Spirit. Christ-likeness. That's the goal. And so it's good to make a distinction between talent, between gift, and between fruit of the Spirit. In fact, I used to listen to um, uh, Brother Preach, who is a great uh, gospel hall preacher. Uh, we have a lot of gospel halls in our area, and, and, um, and so these preachers from Ireland and Scotland would come and often minister the word. And there was a brother, A.M.S. Gooding, uh, David Gooding's uncle, I believe. A outstanding Bible teacher. Uh, and he made the comment. He says, Seldom, if ever, are the most gifted, the most Christ-like. Brethren, let me repeat. Seldom, if ever, are the most gifted, the most Christ-like. The tragedy, hey? And we know that to be true. Right? In our experience, we know that to be true. This is the challenge we have. Uh, uh, hey, this is the challenge my wife has. Right? You know what the challenge my wife has this morning? You asked her? Listening to me. <laughs> Why? Because she knows me. And so that becomes a challenge. Why well, try to... Uh, uh, encourage or listen, it, it shouldn't be me, it should be the Spirit of God, it should be a spiritual gift. And so that's the point, that it's not, it's not, uh, Christian maturity is not gauged by spiritual giftedness. You're doing well when you're conformed and transformed into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's a spiritual, uh, linked with spiritual fruit in Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit, Christ-likeness. And so, those three distinctions. Um, I want to think about, uh, as we start 
or, or work through this idea of the importance of the study of spiritual gifts. We try to emphasize that or talk about that at least at the beginning. Why are spiritual gifts important? Well, they're important because they're important to the Lord. They're important to God. And so we've thought about these four passages. Uh, Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4. Uh, we thought about some of the similarities there, but let's think about some of the differences. Who's the giver in Romans chapter 12? Who's the giver in Romans chapter 12? If you know it from memory, you can say, but if you don't, that's fine too. Who gives the gifts in Romans chapter 12? God. God the Father. Is that right? God the Father is the giver in Romans chapter 12. Who's the giver in 1 Corinthians chapter 12? God the Holy Spirit. Is that right? Who's the giver in Ephesians chapter 4? Christ, God the Son. So as we think about spiritual gifts and we ask the question, why would they be important? Well, obviously they're important to the triune God. Right, we've thought about that this morning, the... Uh, triune God involved in the work of salvation. Right? I mean, we, we reflected on that this morning in the Lord's Supper. The work of Christ and the cross, absolutely. But you know, the, the dress rehearsal, God's dress rehearsal for Calvary is Genesis chapter 22. And it was a father and a son that went together. You know, some have ably pointed out that uh, the Lord Jesus Christ uh, repeated on the cross Psalm 22. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? A man, it would seem, forsaken by God. And so we don't profess to understand that. How could we? But I'm not sure we could ever say he was a son without a father. He was a man without God. But we would never say he was a son without a father because the Bible never says that. And so what we uh, determine is, hey, there were things that happened that day that we can't conceive of. But the point is this, that the triune God is involved in salvation. The triune God is involved in the giving of gifts. It's important to God the Father, to God the Holy Spirit, and to God the Son. A gift from Him, from them, specifically for you. And I would add to that, actually, uh, gifts. We read the verse in Romans chapter 12. Uh, gifts given severally, or well, that's uh, 1 Corinthians 12, but given to each one. This idea that all have them, and likely more than one. I don't. I know. I hear people say this that, uh, well, at least one. Man, if it's just one, that certainly doesn't sound like the heart of God to me. At least one. I would suggest more, multiple. 
Um, so important because uh, the triune God, the gift, the study uh, is important because the triune God is involved. Uh, we've thought about they're important. The study of the gifts is important because the maturity of the body of Christ depends on it. But this is the goal, right? Working in the church, which is his body. That's the goal of every believer being involved. Um, we could add to that that especially in this day, the study of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is important because of so much abuse, mis- misuse, uh, so little understanding. Um, you know, I have a, uh, I would say, a s- substantial library. I've been um, given lots of books by generous Christians, and I especially like uh, old assembly writers. You know, your uh, Pickering and Inglis. That's the publisher. Pickering and Inglis was a uh, brethren publisher. Uh, uh, John Ritchie Publications, a brethren publisher. Lawazow, brethren publisher. And so, uh, not just brethren books, but these books were hand-picked that they published. And there were a lot. Hey, listen. The brethren... The past generation wrote a lot of books. Foundational studies, quite frankly, especially in this day and age. I mean, hey, if you ask Warren Worsby what the best work on the Pentateuch is, on Genesis through Deuteronomy, you know what he would say to you? You know what the best work on the Pentateuch is? See, what do you think Warren Worsby would say? Now, Warren Worsby is associated with Moody. He would say CHM. You know who CHM was? CH Macintosh. Do you know what he he did before um every Sunday before he preached, taught the word of God? You know what he did? He prayed. He prayed, yeah, good. He prayed, yeah. He did that. You know what else he did in the little church he was part of? Well, actually it wasn't little. They remembered the Lord. He was with a group very similar to yours. He remembered the Lord Jesus Christ every Sunday morning. C.H. McIntosh understood these things. So my point is this. You can have a, 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 a lots of books to look through, and we do, and we're thankful for that. But um, do you know how many books there are on spiritual gifts? Do you have any? Do you? Well, I'll be honest, I only had, uh, I had to pick a couple of, like I had to take uh, Vine's book on the church, and he had one chapter, hey, it's short, on spiritual gifts. Um, uh, Jam Davies' book on the Lord and the church is, hey, one small chapter on the gifts. Hey, this isn't just in, in our circles. Lewis Perry Schaefer, in speaking about these things, says the same thing, that there's a in what we would call evangelical Christianity. There's a lack of understanding. I asked a friend uh, when I left. I said to him, "He's he's well used. He has a well used in preaching. Preached all over the world. Taught the word of God all over the world. Writes a uh, works on a web page now." And and he says, "Rob, the ministry that what I used to preach from the front now gets all over the world." He says, seven hundred downloads last month." things he wrote and uh, put onto the uh, internet about the word of God. He's working through systematically through the word of God. 
And I asked him, how come there's so little written on spiritual gifts? You know what his answer was? Because we don't know nothing about it. Why uh, a subject so important? Why do we know so little about it? Because it's been so abused. We feel like if we start to uh, talk about spiritual gifts and the filling of the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit and talk about these great concepts of Scripture, somebody's going to accuse us of being a charismatic. Well, actually you are, by definition, charismatic. The true meaning of the word. But it's not a title to be taken. It doesn't, it doesn't represent a, a form of thinking or a, a form of doctrine that defines us. It's a work of grace, of, of God in the heart of the individual. And so it's a good word. The study of the Holy Spirit is a great study. Being filled with the Holy Spirit, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Mr. Darby translated, be being filled. Be being filled. What in the world does that mean? He understood this. Be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. And so, as we think about the importance of the study of gifts this morning, it's important because um, there's been so much abuse and misuse. And so many things out there that, that are being said, being presented as uh, being the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which frankly don't measure up to the Word of God. So it's abuse. And really that's what, hey, that's what 1 Corinthians is about, right? It's about misuse. And so I guess we could, uh, we would be good to interject this, this comment here. We don't get all our teaching on spiritual gifts from 1 Corinthians, Right? The reason we don't, a couple of reasons for sure, is that, hey, this was a letter of correction. Hey, there was correction going on in 1 Corinthians about their use of the gifts. And, and so as you think about, say, for instance, the, uh, the gift of tongues, hey, they were being corrected in 1 Corinthians. Uh, if there's a list, if there's a list and there's an order to that list, where does tongues come in in 1 Corinthians Hey, where does it come in? Have you ever considered that? <laughs> last. It comes in last. So if there's an order, it's last. Well, hey, it's being emphasized and overemphasized. And so uh, that's been the challenge the, uh, in uh, New Testament Christianity to, to move away from these things because of their abuse. And so we, we, we emphasize that. First um, Peter chapter 4. Um, so we've, we've started with uh, the idea, we try to make it uh, the importance of gift, uh, the importance of the study of gifts, the church is maintained, sustained by the use of spiritual gifts, they're important to the Godhead because all three are involved in the giving of gifts, we thought about that, uh, um, we made a distinction between uh, Talent, uh, spiritual gifts, and fruit of the Spirit. I think that's helpful. We're going to see that as we move through. Uh, we thought this, that it's important for us to study the spiritual gifts because uh, there's been so much misuse and abuse of them. And so we want to have a, an accurate understanding biblically of these things. Uh, we said at the beginning um, that we wouldn't spend as much time on the list. We will. 
but that won't be the emphasis. And we said, that won't be the emphasis because that's not Paul's emphasis ever. Right? I mean, hey, there, there's not even agreement on how many there are on the list. Hey, some sound Bible scholars say, hey, they, they think the list is, a, you know, is endless, what God could do through gifting. And so this is just an example. Uh, we said that we would be hesitant to get all of our doctrine from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 because, uh, well, one reason would be which, was, which of the three, the three that Paul wrote, which letter was the closest to the book of Acts historically? Historically, which of those three, that would be Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and Ephesians 4, which was closest historically to Acts? 1 Corinthians, right? 1 Corinthians is Acts 18, right? It's closest to, closest to the book of Acts. And hey, I, I don't say we understand everything that happened in the book of Acts, but, but it, it's, it's a bad idea to get doctrine from the book of Acts, right? I mean, it can help us, and there are some things in there that, hey, we see them there and we can prove them from the epistles, but we understand this, right, that, that doctrine is taught to us in the epistles, that Acts is historical. That there were things that happened in the book of Acts that don't happen today. Do you agree with that? Yeah. And so, so we say that, hey, 1 Corinthians was, was closest to the book of the Acts. And so there may be this idea of transition there. So the point we want, and again, we're just going to gather ideas up as we move through. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 4. As each one, in verse 10, it says, As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And um, so sometimes we'll say, uh, you know, my gift is this or my gift is that. And we say, well, I understand what we mean by that. But it's not necessarily sound theology. Here... Whatever the gift is, it's a stewardship. And so basically our time is gone, but we want to want to finish with this idea. We've been working through the importance of them, why we want to study them. Now I'm going to add to that why we want to find out what it is so that we can exercise it. That's what we want to answer. And this idea of not knowing it, it's not uncommon. Uh, I listened to a message by Bill McDonald, and he said in a conference, a conference that I don't know how many people were there. He asked this question. How many of you this morning know what your spiritual gift is? Raise your hands. Or a hand, actually. I don't know if you would want both hands up. I've been hesitant about that. Raise your hand. So if we would ask that question this morning, how many of you know what your spiritual gift is? Raise your hand. Be kind of like kind of like this. That means I think I know, but I'm hesitant to say. And so whatever happened, I don't know what happened in the group, but Bill McDonald said, yeah, that's what I would have figured. So what do you think happened? You've got the same information as me. He was on, a, it was on Voices for Christ. He says, how many of you this morning know what your spiritual gift is? Raise your hand. Yeah, that's what I would have figured. I assume that Hardly anybody raised their hand. That's what I think. That's what I think he figured. Not like everybody did it and everybody knew that's what he would have figured. We don't know often. And so uh, this is important because according to First Peter chapter 4, it's a stewardship. 
I'm going to suggest to you this morning that if you don't use it, you will lose it. Think, whoa, come on. Really? You think if I don't use it, I will lose it? Well, maybe that's a little too jarring. Um, We certainly know this, that, that the Lord is working in his body and he's bringing his body through to maturity and Christians are growing. Say this, hey, will you lose an opportunity if you don't exercise your gift? If you don't know what it is, there are things that the Lord has for you to, to do in the assembly and you will lose that opportunity. Is that serious, do you think? Well, hey, you heard how many verses this morning from Second Corinthians chapter 5? What, what was the verse? Who had it? What was it? Michael knows it because he's been teaching it to his kids all week. What is it, Michael? Is that for Christians? It's for Christians, right? Is it, Michael? It's for Christians. All appear before and give an account. Here in First Peter, it's a stewardship. The point is, if you don't use it, you will lose it. And so I'm going to give you a couple of verses to consider. Turn back to Matthew. Twenty-five. Matthew chapter twenty-five, verse fourteen. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. Hey, listen, that's the same kind of language that Paul uses in describing spiritual gifts, to his own ability. We, we have that concept many times, his own ability. And immediately it says he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them, made another five talents, and likewise he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug into the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. I would suggest to you that's what could be the the idea we were thinking about Michael quoted for us. The day of accountability. So he who had received five talents came and brought five others talents saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you rule over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers and at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him 
notice this, and give it to him who has ten talents. Uh, Later, this afternoon, this evening, we'll continue with this idea. Because it's a a large idea. It's a serious warning. It'll give you the afternoon to think about it, if you will. You say, maybe I don't agree with it, it's not true. But my suggestion is that if you don't use it, you'll lose it. I read you at least one passage where it was taken and given to another. So if you're sitting there with a spiritual gift, you want to be using it. Hey, and we're going to read a couple of verses tonight in Paul's exhortation to Timothy, and that's what he was encouraging him to do. Timothy, don't neglect it. Stir it up. Let's close with a word of prayer. Our Father, we're... Again, thankful for your word this morning. We, we, we pray that, Father, by your Holy Spirit, our hearts would be uh, encouraged and uh, we would be exhorted. And, Father, we would be challenged by your word through your spirit. And that, Father, we would uh, go home a different way than we came. Father, that you would uh, change us, uh, not for our own uh, a promotion, Father, but for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ as we have this privilege to represent Him and to be His body in the earth. Father, thank You on the earth. Thank You, Father, for what You've done because of Calvary through Your Son in each life. Thank You for the work of Your Holy Spirit. Thank You for Your Word. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen.